We've been off for a couple of weeks, but we are back like we never missed a step. We've got some basketball, some NFL draft, and even a touch of baseball on the docket today. Um, I know that gets you psych notice. Nah, you're really going to have to fight to get that in there. In fact, my goal for the day is to go such in-depth on our other topics that you don't get to bring up the MLB for even one minute. Um, well, I hate to break it to you. I, I don't know how successful you're going to be with that, but we'll try. We'll see. And uh, we're going to start things off okay. usually with the trivia of the week. And you already hate this, and it makes me sad because I thought it was going to be a fun little question. So I am curious your thoughts, though. It's not really a trivia, more just a thought-provoking idea. Who would win in a 1v1 basketball game? You, with LeBron James's build and athleticism with your basketball skills, or LeBron with his basketball skills but your build and athleticism? Do you remember what I said this morning when you asked me the same question? What? So it's a dumb question. You know what the answer is, Matt? The answer what? is that it's crazy that you can't wrap your head around the fact that Michael Jordan would have beaten the Mavericks if he were on that Heat team. That that's <laughs> too much of a hypothetical for you. You're like, oh, I don't know. Now we're really getting out there. But you can sit there and honestly look me in the face and say, who would win in one-on-one? You with Michael, with, with LeBron James's athleticism or LeBron James with your athleticism? Dude, I don't know. I don't know. I'm pretty skilled. I think if you put me in a 6'10 body, sure. I do think I would beat LeBron James, all right? Fine. It's out there. Have at me, world. I can beat LeBron James in one-on-one if you just put me in his body and put him in my little scrawny little Jewish body. First but, of all, yes, but keep going. Keep going. But this is a ridiculous theoretical, and I feel that we are making our fans dumber by listening to it. Really? All right. So I don't. I guess you don't like entertaining hypotheticals? Is that what I'm taking away from this? I like more plausible hypotheticals, like the notion that, let's be real, Michael on those heat beats those masks. Okay, um, sure. Michael on those Heat, yeah, probably does. It would be interesting to see what MJ would have to do with on a team where he'd actually have to get rebounds and maybe actually defend the other team's best players. But like you said, that's very plausible. I'm sure that we could figure that out and see that play out in real life. Um, this question, it's so obvious. We, you would beat the LeBron in your body. Like LeBron's basketball skills has no business being in my body specifically. I'm like 5'7 when the wind's behind me. So LeBron, he wouldn't be able to dunk. He wouldn't be able to bully ball people. He wouldn't be able to do anything. Block every shot. I've always said, if I was 6'3", I'd be in the league. So make me 6'8", then I'd probably be in the Hall of Fame. Make me 6'8", I'd be LeBron James. You would be LeBron James. And you'd be able to jump through the roof and – you probably have the skill set of the best basketball player of all time. But, like you said, you don't want to harm. Give LeBron my step back three. Whoa. Put him in, <laughs> we, put him we, in the driveway at 55 Mayflower and time fly. Seriously, from that corner spot right outside the, gar- the garage? That's a fun fact for our listeners. I have never missed from the corner of my <laughs> Not even one time in my whole life. You can look that up. And if you're ever curious for the prettiest shot, from form to swish you've ever seen. You got to get that video of you. You know what I'm talking about? Where you hold the follow through. and So maybe we'll, we'll have to get that onto the Instagram somehow. We'll dig that up. 
that beef commercial with Dwayne Wade, they asked me first. So, <laughs> remember that. All right, let's move along now. We don't have to harp on that too much because I didn't mean to offend you like that. I didn't know it was going to get so personal. Nah, dude, it's just a bad question. Okay. Nothing personal about it. I just prefer good questions. Okay, okay. I'll be better then. Yeah, um, I appreciate it. So let's get into our stats of the week right now. I've got mine written out, so it's not going to be a surprise to you. But I do want to say it to the world because – any chance, you know, any chance I get to pile on the Mets a little bit, I'm obviously going to take it. And this is that baseball talk that you're so excited for. Yeah, give me a little meet the Mets. Give me a little meet the Mets. <laughs> Since 2018. That's the extent of what I know about the Mets. Here is Matt. Since 2018, last two seasons, Jacob deGrom has a 2.07 ERA. That is pristine. That is amazing. The Mets, in those starts, are 36-41. and 41, Five games below 500 with the best pitcher in the league on the mound. It's pretty ridiculous. I can never understand it. His last start, he finally got a win. He had 14 strikeouts and six innings pitch. His ERA is .45. That means he lets up less than half of a run every time he takes the mound. And the Mets are 1-1 one one this year through three of his starts. It's unbelievable. Whenever he pitches, for some reason, they just forget how to score runs. And oh, by the way, he's not just pitching. When he's hitting, he's batting over 500 himself. So move over Shohei Otani. We've got this crazy dual threat of a pitcher, easily one of the best players in the league. He's faced 63 batters so far this year. He's struck out 31 of them. That's just under 50%. And his career ERA with the Mets is the exact same as Tom Seaver's career ERA with the Mets. So no matter, no matter how you try and slice it, what Jacob deGrom is doing the last few years has been historic. It's legendary. And it's a shame that the Mets just haven't been able to capitalize on it. I agree with all that. Let me ask you, are they so bad this year that it's no chance that they actually contend? I know we got Lindor. I know, and Lindor's been off to a slow start. But if the bats wow. wake up, they I mean, they should be fine. I mean, the bullpen's got to be consistent, and the bullpen's always scary with the Mets. And right. we're definitely going to see that NL East is loaded this year, so it's going to be a bloodbath yeah. probably all the well, way. Fortunately, we have about 140 games to see how they end up doing. So. <laughs> you love you it. Know, it's not bite off too much this early, but um, yeah. So you know, maybe maybe 139 games later, we can sit down and see if you were right. Yep, we'll check back in in the summertime. Um, so yeah, I mean, what did you, you say? Looking forward to it, as always. As always. Now, give me yours. Give me yours. We don't have to stick with baseball too much. Okay, fine. Uh, I just want you to know, Matt, that in the last 10 games, Steph Curry has hit more threes than any player ever in a 10-game span. I mean, this dude is taking 14 threes a game. Yeah, I said 14 threes a game. That's like what a team would normally take. <laughs> He's making over 50% of them. Mind-blowing including 52% on step-back contended off-the-dribble threes. Oh, man. How do you do that? I'm really not sure. And by the way, here's another fun fact just to blob on top of this. 25 games in NBA history 
in NBA history has a player ever made more than 10 threes. So out of 25, two of them belong to play, two of them belong to game, 10 of them belong to the rest of human history, and then 11 to Chef Curry, including two in the last week. Yeah, and he has six of them this season, I think, which is more than anybody else has all time. That's just this season alone. Guy is 33, putting up unprecedented scoring numbers. I mean, this is the best scoring streak of his career. He's averaging 41 a game over the last 10 games. Yes, I said 33. That's your Steph Curry. And is he your MVP? Got to be in the consideration for it. And I like the way he comes out and he's like, obviously it's me. Dude, let me tell you something just to wrap this thought. I know we'll get into playing tournament later, so no need to harp on it now. But big part of this playing tournament, the most out there ramification you will see of it this year, is the fact that if I'm a one-seeded Phoenix Suns, I do not want to see a 10-seeded hot Steph Curry in the first round. Yeah, I mean, who would who would want to see Steph Curry in the first round? It's just like when he was at Davidson in the NCAA tournament, and he went off, and he carried them to the Elite Eight, carried Davidson. And I got my dad writing in here right now that Steph is the MVP, and we were talking about this the other night, actually. Yeah. And yeah. my initial reaction was, hey, yeah, it's only been a week, and he's probably not in those top three, top five. But the truth is, he's definitely in the top three as of this moment today. But when you say it's an unprecedented scoring streak, not really. Like James Harden did the same thing last year for longer, and Kobe Bryant's also done. For Steph, though, like well, this is the high out of Steph Curry's Hall of Fame, you know, top twelve player if you want to call him all time career. He has never scored more points for more points over the course of ten games than he has in his last ten games. I think that's crazy to be doing at thirty three, and it is an unprecedented ten game streak from you. That's for sure. Yes, and everything he does shooting the ball is unprecedented. Like, he, if yeah. you look at the most three-pointers made in a season, he's like five of the top seven seasons. So, Steph Curry, easily the best shooter of all time. I don't think anyone would disagree. Easily. And yeah. man, Steph is so cool. Like, this guy, <laughs> you could, if you just woke up every morning and the first thing you did was watch a reel of the threes that Steph hit the night before, like a great way to start the day. <laughs> Make you feel like you can do anything. It's just like satisfying to watch. It looks it all looks way too easy. And these are shots like he said. These are shots where he's running off screens, taking dribbles. These are not like catch and shoot wide open looks. These he's double teamed. These are guys in his face falling all over him. He's just knocking shots down. He's taking more contested off the dribble threes than ever in his career. Historically that makes up about eight percent of the threes he takes. This year, he is taking 16% of his threes are contested off the dribble, and he's making 52% of them. Like, wrap your head around that one. And shooting Can't. unprecedented from 30 plus two. I don't have the numbers on me, but he is putting up a season like we've never seen from 30 plus feet. By the way, the line goes at about 22. So, wrap your head around that one. Like, he, what he's doing is unprecedented. You've got to give him some love for it. Um... And I'll be watching every Warriors game I can for the rest of the season. Do you think that – I got a couple comments here in the chat. Do you think that Steph Curry is the best point guard ever? Do you think he's played his way into that discussion? I think he's got to be in the discussion. Now, the hard thing that we've had with this conversation, because Matt and I have tried to craft starting fives using all the players all the time that would beat one another. Now, the hard thing gets into when Matt has a lineup of trees 
you know, if you get Magic Johnson at point guard, it's like you're gonna tell me that my six three Steph Curry can guard a six nine Magic Johnson, or then you you know, the ultimate loophole in that game is you put LeBron James at point guard and now you've got a six nine freight train supposed to be guarded by Steph Curry. But if we're talking pure point guard, I mean I'd rather have Steph Curry than John Stockton. I'd rather have Steph Curry than Chris Paul, than Jason Kidd, like Isaiah Thomas. You keep naming point guards, I'll, you're basically naming people I'd rather have Steph Curry than. I do think at the end of the day, he's a top 12 player all time. Um, and that's pretty cool. Now, I'm really beating around the bush on your question. Um, so, like, Switzerland, I will absolutely. <laughs> I don't think he's the best point guard ever. Like, I probably would have to say that Magic Johnson is the best point guard ever. Steph Curry, like I said, though, the best shooter ever. And I don't think anyone, like I said, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. And that's that's not too shabby. Um, Don't beat yourself up about it, Steph. We love you. We we do love Steph. He is the man. Like, his personality, just as a team leader, like, seems like he has zero ego. You can put him on the court with anyone and he'll find a way to make it work. So we definitely do love Steph, and he has been on fire, except for last night. I don't know if you Dude, saw. But. Let me tell you the best line I've heard about Steph Curry, actually, all time. This is by Chris Rock, so bear in mind it's not the most serious take. But Chris Rock turns to Jerry Seinfeld one day, and he's like, Jerry, you seen this Steph Curry guy, man? He's like, Alan Iverson, two parents. Oh, man. <laughs> but, um, shh. All right. So anyway, I think we've I think we've uh really hyped up the Steph train. Just so you know, we love you, Steph. But I'm ready to move on to a little. You reach out, to One more thing, I just want to throw out there about Steph. When sure. a lot of people talk about like the best handles, how Kyrie Irving has the best handles of all time, and maybe that's true. Kyrie's definitely up there. Steph Curry is like right on par with Kyrie yeah. in the handles department. If you ever watch him, like. Over the years, he's had crazy highlights. He had the behind-the-back crossover on Chris Paul on the baseline when he dropped Chris Paul. He had another one against the Clippers where he just ran through the like four people on the defense with his back to the basket, then flipped around and shot a three. So Steph Curry's handles, his shooting, best shooter of all time, his handles also so beyond elite. Like Steph is just elite. What can we say? Steph, I'll wrap by saying this also. Steph <laughs> is Coach Carter's son grown up. <laughs> Yeah, he definitely could be. He could be the fundamentals. Perfect fundamental guy. Um, yeah, so let's get into a couple right. of reaches you here. Us? And you can kick it off now because you've been brewing, these have been brewing in your head for a while, and I know these thoughts keep you up at night. So I want you yeah, to find out this is a great form to get these off of your chest. All right, my first reach is very simple, and I'm very curious to see what honestly the listeners have to say about it. So feel free to write in. Call me crazy. I am net glad that Kevin Durant is not on the Nets. Sorry, he's not on my Nets. So I'll rephrase that again. I am glad that Kevin Durant is not on my Nets. Now that's crazy because Kevin Durant in a Knicks jersey was the wallpaper on my phone for about a year, as Matt will tell you. Um, Actually, correction, it was Katie and Kyrie in Knicks jerseys. And Zion, the big three, coming to New York soon. But let me tell you, well, one, I don't have to get into how content I am with the current New York Knicks. Seven-game win streak, first of such in a long time. We love that. The Knicks suddenly have a culture of winning. We are building. We are a destination that people want to go to. Lonzo Ball's like, I want to go to the Knicks. And why wouldn't you? We're a team where you got to work for your minutes, a la Miami Heat, all of a sudden. Like I said, you take smart shots, great culture. 
Now, what is Kevin Durant right now? Firstly, Matt, I'll start with the question that you always ask. What is the most important ability? Availability. And in about two years, Kevin Durant's played about 10 games, it seems, for the Brooklyn Nets. So that's not great. But what has he done a lot more of? This Michael Rappaport, I'll curse, this Michael Rappaport <laughs> shit is crazy. And he is the softest player in NBA history. I mean, this guy is like Charmin Ultra Soft and stupid. So for those of you who don't know exactly what happened, Michael Rappaport slides into KD's DMs looking for a reaction. Now, if you're Kevin Durant, I had to guess a lot of people slide into your DMs looking for a reaction, given that they know you're Charmin Ultrasoft from your Twitter burner accounts already, and that why not try to get under the skin of arguably the greatest scorer of all time. But of course, Kevin Durant lets him. And this ends with Kevin Durant rattling off about a million homophobic slurs. Like, really, really terrible things that you absolutely cannot ever say to people. Kevin Durant is putting in writing to Michael Rappaport, not only a reporter, but a loser. Making Kevin Durant a bigger loser. And Kevin Durant is telling him to meet him on 40th Street. Meet me there. I'm showing up. I'm looking for you. As if pasty six-foot Michael Rappaport wants to go toe-to-toe with seven-foot scoring god Kevin Durant. And then what does KD do? KD apologizes that the fans had to see it. (laughs) He didn't apologize for saying any of it. He didn't apologize for trying to fight Michael Rappaport. He didn't apologize for embarrassing the Nets organization which did look very stupid, by the way, when they were like, we're doing an internal review. <laughs> and then doing absolutely nothing, of course. So I don't need Charmin Ultrasoft on my team. I'm cool with the hard-nosed culture going on right now in New York. And we're not going to make this another Nets show because we've had already, it seems like, four Nets shows. Can they win it all? But if their dudes aren't healthy, it's a whole new conversation. And my take here is just that, as a Knicks fan, I thought having Kevin Durant was the end-all, be-all, and I am glad he's not on the team. I don't need that on my team. Oh, you don't need... superstar of all time. You don't need Kevin Durant on your team? Like, you're some elitist, like, oh my god, oh my god. That's just justification nation at its absolute finest. Of course you want Kevin Durant on your team. 10 times out of 10, if he says, I want to come to the Knicks, you hand him an empty check and you say, here, dude, fill in your number and come on and come on over and you play on the Knicks every single time. Yes. This is a guy that you've been trying to tell me for the last few years was actually better than LeBron James. Yeah, right. But Kevin Durant's like a couple time finals MVP now. Um, I I consider him the second best player in the league still. Like you said. Yeah. He is the second best player in the league. You know that I go on record all the time saying that if, I think that if I had one isolation bucket to save human history, I really might be picking Kevin Durant to take it. But given that, the level of insecurity is actually insane. I thought that what Kevin Durant said to Michael Rappaport, that whole situation is the funniest thing that's happened in 2021. And not because people are still using that ridiculously egregious homophobic language. That's not funny at all. It's horrifying and frightening and terrible. But it's just funny that this is coming from seven-foot god Kevin Durant. Like, how? How are you still 
so he's the most insecure person and I, I know and I don't even know <laughs> it, that that all very true and very fair and it's not even anything new like Kevin Durant in his life if you <laughs> he sent out more tweets than points he scored in the NBA and That's that bad. that is a fact and that's just from his personal account that doesn't even include all the burner accounts that we don't even know yeah. what he was up to so Kevin Durant lives on Twitter he he has time he was getting into it into it on Twitter um, earlier this week with Nick Wright so he's never one to shy away from the internet feuds and I mean I think the last two years of him just sitting on the sidelines not doing anything he's really just fed into this where He's probably just on his phone all the time. And yeah, Kevin Durant's got time for you. What else is he doing when he's not rehabbing? So oh. it, is, it is funny. It, it really is funny because you're Kevin Durant. You don't have to prove anything to anyone, yet he feels yeah. like he has to prove everything to everyone. And I think you know why he's so insecure? I think it's because he, he went to Golden State to try and win some rings and feel validated. And everybody told him, Nah, those don't count, and I feel like he still kind of feels kind of invalidated. Maybe right. That's, uh, that's then he goes to Nets and is like, I want a more valid ring with four other Hall of Famers on my team. Yeah, but I, I mean, yeah, like you would. So yeah, I know because he thought he went to the Nets to try and prove that he could win it. Then he calls up James Harden, so there it goes again. So he knows again, even if he wins, people are going to give him shit for it. So I don't know. He he is such a baby though, and such a loser. But I am so what are you gonna do with that guy? him not being on the Knicks. That's my whole take. I'm so fine. You know what, Kevin Durant? Enjoy your beanies and your nitro brews and your avocado toast <laughs> out there in Brooklyn. We are fine here in New York without you. We are better off without you. So that's my whole take. We don't need to harp on it too long. Uh, do you have anything else on this matter? Well, yeah. I mean, just to like, like throw a couple compliments the Knicks way because. Like you said, the Knicks have a great thing going right now. One, R.J. Barrett. And I think we've talked about this, how wrong we were, so we don't have to kick ourselves too much. But R.J. Barrett this season, a better three-point percentage than Damian Lillard. That's crazy. Although I know that percentages don't count and don't actually matter and we don't actually read into them. Um, But also Julius Randle. Julius Randle, if he doesn't win most improved player, there's something wrong with the voters. And Tom yep. Thibodeau should also be coach of the year. And they should be taking home some hardware this season. Curious, do you think Julius Randle should be mentioned in the MVP conversation at all? Yeah, he should be mentioned. He shouldn't get even one vote, but he should be mentioned. You know, maybe an honorary third, fourth place. I really do think, and your dad just commented this, Tibbs is the coach of the year. Matt, let's look at the facts right now. There's one fact that matters, which is it's April. And the Knicks are the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. Crazy Town, USA. And it's April. Yeah, it's and the playoffs yeah. are two weeks so, away. The playoffs are two weeks away, and the Knicks are one piece away. You know, suddenly. Suddenly, I can't wait to see which free agent they're going to snag this season in the in, the, in this off season. Who's it going to be? We'll Anthony Davis. We've said it. Dude, the difference with this Knicks regime is that we're sitting patient. We are in no rush. Like the way the Knicks were a few years ago, only we're actually a first-class franchise. We are (laughs) sitting patient. We have got our ducks in order. And we're going to wait to see what the world rolls to us because good things happen. It's like the way good things happen to good people. Good players flow to good teams. And the Knicks can sit and know that we're a team where guys know they're going to 
play selfless basketball. We take good shots. We're going to play great defense. And that's a culture people are going to want to be a part of. We already saw Alonzo Ball say he wants to be a part of it. Only more will follow. So just sit patient, Knicks. We don't need any superstars with burner Twitter accounts that are going to go tell our lifelong fans that they can bleep bleep. So that's all. <laughs> it's all true. Like, shout out to the Knicks, man. Probably the most fun watching Knicks basketball since Jeremy Lin. So <laughs> my life. Um, Literally my whole life. All right, so, give us your reach. Yes, and so you touched upon it briefly earlier. I'm going to talk about the NBA play-in tournament. Personally, I think it's a great idea, and I think that it's here to stay. So for those who don't know, the current format this year, the 7 seed, right, so the 9 and 10 seed will play a game. The winner plays the loser of the 7-8 matchup. For the seven seed, the losers play each other. For the eight seed, if you lose twice, you go home. And Luka Doncic was a player, very adamant. He spoke out. He said, I don't see the point of this. Oh, really, Luka? That's probably the most obvious statement I've ever heard from someone whose team is in seventh place. So, (laughs) listen, I get it. You know, Mark Cuban, also in the Mavericks, he was also trashing it. He said, in hindsight, this is such a bad idea. It's a compressed season and we should be able to rest up for the playoffs instead of, no, you know, it's hard for me to feel bad for NBA players when they're like, oh, wait, we actually have to play? Oh, no. Like, come on, dude. You, yeah, you have to play the game. Sorry. What do you want me to feel bad for you? So I, I don't care about their grievances with it. I like the idea. I think it's going to make those playing games are going to be very exciting to watch. There's a lot on the line. It's win or go home. It's kind of like a game seven feel. Um, and it's also kind of like tapping into that NCAA tournament type of electricity. So I love it. And if you're the NBA, you get more games. That means more money. And if you're the players and the teams, it means there's a bigger playoff field, which means you have more opportunity to make noise in the playoffs. So I think it's a win, win, win for everyone involved. And Luca, if you want to rest, then rest. Sit out in the home stretch and play in your playing games. Listen, dude, I think you've made a lot of great points. The games are going to be super exciting. I'm super excited for them. I think it's cute that the NBA thinks we're borrowing from Europe, you know, being a little suave, <laughs> tipping the hat to soccer for playing games. However, I do think Mark Cuban had a point. Just going to say that, you know? I think that there's something to be said about the fact his point was really like, we're playing a 72-game regular season. It's a lot of games to determine who makes the playoffs or so 72 games and all, everything we've done can be erased in two. It just feels yeah. a little bit like the baseball wild card playing game, which is very controversial. But it's, it's basically the notion that, like, again, what are we playing these 72 games for if we can be wiped away in two? And I kind of get that. They're like, you know, one guy trips. You get hurt, all of a sudden you're out of the playoffs. But that said, if you were going to lose, you know, you're going to be out regardless. You know, it's not. I don't see any real champions getting dethroned in the in the seven ten playing game. Um, if anything, it just opens the door for bigger threats to one seeds that don't deserve to be one seeds. Cough cough, Phoenix Suns. Cough cough, Denver Nuggets. Without Jamal, so I don't I don't need to offer this for too long. I'm excited for the games, um, but I think Cuban does have a point. And by the way, I will just throw in on the condensed season, like. Yeah, I'm with you. It's hard to get upset with these guys who, like, are literally getting paid 
millions and millions of dollars just to do like what you and I would kill to do on a Wednesday, if possible. Um, but like, there comes a point where we are being a little bit reckless with their bodies, and that point is two months between seasons, which is what we had this year, and seventy-two games in about four in three or four months. Like that is kind of ridiculous. Um, it, it was two months in between so, the season. It was two months in between the season for LeBron James and Jimmy Butler. For the teams that didn't make the bubble, they didn't play from March until October, November. So they had like seven months of time off. True. So I think that they were rested. And if you're Luca and Mark Cuban sitting in the seventh spot, and you're like, yeah, everything we've done could be gone in two games. If they were sitting in the 10 spot and they weren't going to make the playoffs, you'd be like, oh my God, this is amazing. We get our chance. So I think it's all about perspective and where you sit in the seedings. And, you know, if, if you don't want everything to potentially be undone in two games, then win your regular season games and get the sixth seed, and you won't have to worry true. about it. All right, true. Hey, these are some very good points. And at the end of the day, you're right. Isn't it all about perspective? Look, <laughs> the type of thing you've ever said on this show. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's, right. move it, let's move it along now. You got your second reach here. Let's do it. All right. This is the most emotional take I've given on this show, so you gotta allow me to buckle in here. I've been watching a lot of Zach Wilson, alright? And the kid's wildly talented. But regardless of what we see on tape, like, I, my whole reach here is that this is the riskiest thing the New York Jets have ever done. And I'll talk a bit about it. All I gotta say is one, make no mistake, you talk about like Zach Wilson has arm talent that jumps off the tape, and it does. You know who else has arm talent that jumps off the tape? Who? Sam Darnold. Yes. Like, in NFL games, Sam Darnold did some pretty crazy things last year. You want to pull up the tape of his run against the Broncos, his throw on the run against the Niners, his throw to throw Braxton Berrios open opposite hash against the Bills. Sam was doing some pretty Herculean things on an egregious New York Jets roster last year with receivers you've never heard of in an outline you couldn't name one person. So I just, my long-winded way of saying, I am on the confidence scale, I would say it's more than likely that Sam is a very good quarterback on the Carolina Panthers. Now, is Zach Wilson more objectively raw physical talented, physical talent than, than Sam? Yeah, and it's really obvious. This guy makes some jaw-dropping throws. If you just watch the first minute of his highlight reel, he's throwing people open 40 yards down the field on the run. It jumps off. But what we don't know about Zach Wilson is character because we haven't really met him. So, like, my big thing here, all I'm saying is that the leap of faith being taken by Joe Douglas is not on Zach Wilson's talent. It's on who is Zach Wilson, which I hope he's got some great, great insight because I obviously don't. I don't know anyone that knows the guy. Um, and ultimately, that's what's going to determine it. We know what kind of kid Sam Donald was. Youngest starter in NFL history. 22 years old, Brazilian. Heartbroken about being traded from the Jets. Uh, and talented and the, and the three-year captain of our team. So heartbroken to see Sam go. And I'm just saying, Joe Douglas, you better have called his Zach Wilson's kindergarten teacher through every college professor. I want to know what his girlfriend's parents think of him. 
Because at the end of the day, this kid is so talented. But if he's not really bright between the ears, and if he's not a really, really ridiculously hard worker, he's going to be a bad NFL quarterback. That's just how it goes. 90% of being an NFL quarterback has nothing to do with your physical traits. Yes. And, uh, I, yeah, I agree with all of it. And I know that it really does keep you up at night. And so a few things I just want to say about Sam Darnold right here real quick. One, he, he's entering his fourth NFL season this year, and he's 15 months older than Mac Jones going to be rookie. So he's younger than Joe Burrow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's. I think he's younger than like Lamar Jack. They're the same draft class, but whatever. He's still very young. Is the point? Like very, very young. Like he could be a rookie young. And here he is yeah. coming into his fourth year of the NFL with all that experience. That's one. Two on the Jets for the past few years. You talk to any Jets fan. What do they say? Our offensive line is the worst in the league. We don't have a receiver that I could name off the top of my head. And our running backs are the worst in the league. So you're Sam Darnold looking around at all of your weapons. You literally have nothing, and people know this. Now all of a sudden this offseason, they're bringing in the pieces that you'd like to see them bring in. And they're like, oh, yeah, Sam Darnold, we don't even want to give you that chance. And, you know, I kind of get it. Because if you're a new GM like Joe Douglas, you want to leave your fingerprint on the team, and you want it to be yours. You don't really want that carryover. You want it to be your guy. And this could go down as one of the greatest what-ifs in football history because you look at a Jets team that still, after a spending spree, we have more cap than any team in the NFL. We have four first-round picks in the next two years and three second-rounders. We could have made that seven first-round picks in the next two years and three second-rounders and more cap than any team in the NFL and Sam Darnold. And that is like a pretty, pretty astonishingly good base to have as a football team. But you're Joe Douglas, dude, and, like, you're a Jets fan. Your whole livelihood is in Joe Douglas. It's in Joe we trust. He's how you sleep at Like, we really think that this guy is good. We love the Makai Beckton pick. We love the direction the team's headed in. We give him the benefit of the doubt on every signing. But if Zach Wilson is a bust, Joe is fired so fast. Like, yeah, but but the only we're gonna know if if he's a bust in three or four seasons, which is part of why he it makes sense for him to get rid of Donald right, and pick his quarterback. Development. Yeah, so I'm just, him, all I'm pointing at this could be one of the biggest what ifs in NFL history. If Zach Wilson busts, or even if Sam Donald busts, but just watching these two guys' career trajectories can be fascinating. And like, don't sleep on the Panthers going forward because they pulled off a coup. Like second rounder for Sam Donald, like that's it. That's a gem. The way I, I agree, he's young enough to be a rookie. And when you think about it, like, given his track record, like, you know, probably as valuable as any rookie in this draft class. There, I said it. Like, given what we've seen him do on the NFL field. So. And also, let me take this one step further. This is going to be my next reach, but I'll just throw it out there. I think that the Patriots, they currently have the 15th pick, but I think the Patriots are going to end up drafting a quarterback, too. And I think it's. Yeah. I think they're trying to finagle their way into like a Trey Lance or Justin Fields situation, and so that just throws another wrinkle into it. Now you'll be comparing Zach Wilson and Sam Darnold, but you'll also be comparing the two rookies drafted into the same division in the same draft class forever too. And if the Patriots nail their pick and the Jets blow theirs, and then the Patriots get another fifteen years of amazing quarterback play, and the Jets are left back at square one after trying two quarterbacks in three seasons. That's nightmare fuel for you, and I hope that keeps oh, yeah. you up tonight. 
Well, fun fact, no team has ever drafted two quarterbacks in the top three in three seasons. But, of course, the Jets are just always looking for ways to shatter records. <laughs> On the Patriots, dude, you are 100% right. And I said this, so I'm going to give myself some credit, because I was saying this all last year. When the Patriots were struggling, it was never goodbye, Belichick. It was see you later. Like, think about what they've done. We talked about it last week, so I'll just bring up the stat again. The Patriots spent more money on the first day of free agency and guarantees than they had spent in the previous three years combined. They spent more in the free agency period than in the previous 10 years combined. So what is that to say? A lot of fresh talent coming to New England. What else is coming to New England? Seven defensive starters that sat out last season. The year before, we were talking about what an unprecedentedly dominant defense they had. Went through like... You know, what was it? Through three weeks, they had allowed like nine points. Something crazy like that. And now we're getting back all those Dante Hightower, McCordy's. I mean, Patrick Chung's retired. We got a lot of bad dudes coming back to this Patriots defense. So now they're stacked up on the defensive side again. You get Hunter Henry, Janu Smith, a bunch of other talent that they like. You know, Belichick likes his guys. And I'm not saying they're going to be running away with the AFC East this year by any standard. But I am saying that you bring in Justin Fields, who, by the way, takes so much crap because he went to Ohio State. But fun fact, Justin Fields has not made a mistake in his entire life. <laughs> you bring in Trey Lance. You let them sit behind Cam Newton, who we applauded the other week, I think on our last show, because there's no one better at this time in the NFL to have sit, to sit behind than Cam Newton as a rookie quarterback, given what Bill says and everyone on the Patriots team says about an unprecedented work ethic. This guy never leaves the facility. Bill's going to make a rookie come in here and grind, absolutely grind to take that job from Cam. I heard a Pat McAfee conspiracy theory that Bill's been doing all this stuff, trying to send smoke signals all over the league so he can try and get Justin Fields, and I don't put it past him. I am scared. I think the Patriots will take a quarterback in the first round. Um... Or if they're going to wait to the second round, then, that, then that's just them playing chess while we're playing checkers. And that means that they love Kellen Mond with good reason. So, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's – I think if they take a quarterback, it's going to be in the first round because just doing that gives you that extra fifth year of rookie contract control. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, you kind of hit on a, a lot of the points I wanted to make. You are, We've already seen – Belichick's going to be aggressive in retooling this roster and retooling it quickly. And he demonstrated that in free agency, like you said. Another thing you said, there's no pressure for this rookie quarterback to come in and play right away. They'll, they'll have the chance to sit behind Cam, and it will be until Cam Newton's shoulder explodes or just falls off. Because I don't know if yeah. anyone that's watched Cam Newton throw, try and throw a football, you can see Thank there's you. very little juice left in that arm. You should try to patent the bounce pass. <laughs> they will have to make that legal for him if he's going to have a shot. So Cam will probably be the starter week one, but there's a 0% chance he lasts that whole season. And so we'll probably get to see that rookie. And I'm curious who it's going to be. I'm curious, you know, going back to the Jets, is it a done deal that Zach Wilson is the second pick, no doubt about it, 100% going to be? I think that, that is the ready, like, he better be. Like, you better have been positive that that was the guy when you traded Sam Darnold. But what again, if, why? What if they think the guy is Trey Lance or someone else? That's fine. Then, then, then it has to be so safe. We know that the Jets, like, I mean, it's, it's out there. Like, Steve Young came out and was like, everyone knows the Jets like the BYU kid. 
And AFC's executive was like, everyone, before we traded Sam Darnold, was like, everyone knows the Jets like the BYU kid. And that's just what it seems. Like, you know, you, you don't hear the name for no reason. I would be stunned to see them take someone else. In fact, I really, I hate to say it, I don't think it's really worth entertaining. It seems so written in. Um, again, Zach Wilson is not, sorry, Justin Fields has not made a mistake in his entire life. Um, but Justin Fields also isn't necessarily pro-ready. Like, didn't playing in a spread offense. Let's get Zach Wilson in. Just like, God damn, I hope he's the guy. <laughs> yeah, it's a... Uh... It is def. It's interesting what you say about Justin Fields. I heard someone the other day compare him. To, he said his pro comparison is Dak Prescott, and I actually kind of like that a lot because it seems like he's a guy. Really? Yeah, because Dak Prescott's like his best ability, I think, is his leadership, and I think that's the biggest thing that he provides to the Cowboys specifically. Like once he went yeah. out last year, that team went spiraling because they had no direction. And nobody to look to. It's not Zeke. Zeke is not a leader. He's not rallying the guys. That's Dak. So, and Justin Fields seems dude, like he's that yeah. dude. Like he was in the college football playoff. He got popped. He had that hit pointer, whatever injury he had, where he like got carried off the field, came right back in. You know he's a tough yep. kid. You know he loves the ball. You know he loves to win. So he seems like he has all those intangibles. I just don't know, man. Like, I, every single Ohio State quarterback, you, you, you want to buy in. They throw 50 touchdowns in school. You, they look amazing. And then they get to the league, and they always, always, always suck. What about Dwayne Haskins? Oh, yeah. Sucks. But to that end, though, like, I think Justin Fields is a way more mature, level-headed, better leader than Dwayne Haskins ever was. And ever he also played a different offense. There are great stats out there about how every – Past Dwayne Haskins through in college, like he he's college football's all time leader, I believe, in like yards after catch on his throws. Whereas Justin Fields was just you know planting them forty yards down the field, hitting people in stride. It was a different offense that they ran. It was an entirely different offense, and he was the best player on the field against Trevor Lawrence, like you said. Um, and just to throw in one other thing, there's some guy, Doctor Goldberg, I want to say is his name. Who runs tests on like 6,500 pro athletes across sports about how fast they can process information? And Pat Mahomes' score was like a 102, and that was great. And Aaron Rodgers is like a 101, and that's great. And Justin Fields is the highest ever tested at 150. Wow. Whatever that means, if you trust Dr. Goldberg, and I might, <laughs> then he's a bright guy. So that's all I got to say about that. Um, I just one more thing. Well, Dr. Goldberg does sound like someone that you could trust. Um, One of us. I um, I don't even remember what I was going to say. So, yeah, I mean, we could get into our shout outs real quick now. Yeah, I see you got a few. So, you kick us off. Get us going here. All right. Real quick, I think we got to bring up this whole Super League madness really quick. Europe's little tip of the cap to America's Super Bowl. Finished before it started. I just want to shout out, listen, I'm going to be lying to tell you that I understand the inner workings of soccer and the beauty of the game, but I do understand that soccer fans went to bat and got what they wanted. I mean, they, the equivalent, they waged nuclear war to get this Super League disbanded, and the English teams made it happen, so I really hope you like the current structure because, boy, fans, would it be hypocritical if you didn't. 
Um, but the Shadows are the fans. They what they wanted. Yeah, I mean, the Super League, in theory, it's an amazing idea. Let's get a great, uh, let's get a group of all the best teams in the world and have them play. That's always what everyone would want to see. It was just those the, right. a couple teams from Germany. Some of those great teams weren't included. And their FOMO was like, what the heck? <laughs> Illegal. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a fun hour for that Super League. <laughs> and I wonder, I, I don't think it's totally dead forever. Yeah, they, they might try and revamp it. We'll see. We'll see. Um, my and first... I, and I, I will just throw it, I also get it financially. Like, you look at the fact that Real Madrid lost several hundred millions of dollars in operating funds, negative $300 million this year because of COVID. Same with like FC Barcelona and Juventus. These teams are hemorrhaging cash. Now, fun fact, a lot of sports teams hemorrhage cash. Your average MLB team hemorrhages cash every year. In fact, last year, the NFL was the only spot, the only sport in American history where every team had positive operating income. So it's not that wild that these teams were bleeding money. Um, Owners make money on the sale. So... That, that is that is saying I get that they were strapped for cash, but not that strapped. You know, they're still offering guys like five hundred million dollar deals. That is why the league came to be because these teams they really are they they're struggling right now, and they have been for yeah. a year. Um, my my first shout out goes to Quentin Nelson. Quentin Nelson, the guard on the Indianapolis Colts, one of my favorite players in the league. Honestly, I love this guy. He, in his entire career so far, he has not missed a snap. That's over 3,200 consecutive snaps that he's played. That's still an active streak, despite having a back injury this past season. He played through it, didn't miss a snap. In 1,700 career passing snaps, so on the plays that he has been a pass blocker, he has allowed three sacks in total. That's one sack for almost every... 570 or so snaps. That is absolutely bonkers. <laughs> this dude yeah, is probably the best individual offensive lineman in the league. They drafted him at six overall a couple seasons ago, and everybody gave the Colts a lot of crap. They said, how could you draft a guard in the top 10? You got to be drafting tackles, only tackles. No. He doesn't even protect the blind side. <laughs> and uh, and this is a point that we actually I think I brought this up a couple weeks ago how valuable the offensive line is and we saw it in the Super Bowl seems like we yeah, see yeah. it every single year with these be with the best offenses in the league they're anchored by these great offensive lines and so when you have offensive linemen that are can't miss in the draft you have to take them every chance you get and Nelson is a perfect example of why and Another thing that I've been thinking about, I, it's obviously never going to happen. An alternative path for your Jets could have been keep Sam Darnold, draft Penny Sewell at number two, draft a wide receiver with their second first round pick, and then kind of try. I and know. we don't have to go too far this down this road because it's, but it's definitely interesting to think about because the Jets are a team where you could have all the skill guys in the world. If your offensive line sucks, it's not going to matter. You can love Yon Bell. Are you sad? Yeah, I think you just described the plot of draft day. <laughs> I did. And we talk about who went yeah, to Zach Wilson's laid birthday. Out the plot of draft day, where the team is all of a sudden not in love with the quarterback that everyone's <laughs> in love with. So they build the core around him. 
come together as a city and an organization. And, and the only thing that would make it more spot on would be Joe Douglas falling in love with Jennifer Gardner. Um, so I get it, man. Listen, this is this is what keeps me up. As we know, by the way, Zach Wilson was not a captain. He was an elected leader by the coaches, but not voted a captain by his team. Just want to know why they weren't at his birthday like that. So, fair question. Very fair. That's all I gotta say about that. Give my shout out now. Yeah. You hear me? Yeah. No, it's your your shout out. I think I think we have a bit of a lag. So I'll just roll into my next shout out, which goes out to Derek Henry for spitting truth. And that truth is that Roger Goodell stinks. So. Yeah, sure, the NFL passed its jersey legislation. Players get to wear cooler numbers. yippity do that. When Derrick Henry's out here, like, okay, but what about the alternate jerseys? The NFL is literally the most archaic league in the world, and they still ban alternate jerseys and helmets. You can't wear the Houston Oilers jerseys of all the cool ones. All of our favorite jerseys are literally illegal in the NFL. Why? because Goodell gets some kind of kickback under the table from Nike. We all know that's why. And it's the same reason. So Goodell is in the owner's pockets. Come out and made fun of him for it so many times. Same reason why they added a 17th game. I think there should be like a meme. Like, we moved the kickoff to reduce injuries by 3%. And then like, we added a week to the regular season to increase injuries by 10%. Like, I just think it's crazy. Goodell is in pockets for money. I agree. It's cool that my running back can wear the number three now, but let's give him a cool jersey and a cool helmet for once. Instead of just taking money. Like, you get it. He's corrupt. Like, well said. Couldn't have said it better myself. And I can't hear you. You can't hear me at all? No, I didn't hear anything. Did you hear that I just said that, though? Yeah, yeah. So, like you said, you say like a, a cool jersey number, and yeah, I mean that's that's neat. But like, is the number two really that much cooler than the number ten? Is it just that much cooler than the number twenty? Like, who cares? I don't really care about the number. I want to see the alternate uniforms. I want to see all those designs. And like you said, it's so annoying. It makes no sense that they don't do it, even just for one week. Like, the NBA seems like they come out with new jerseys every single night, and the NFL just doesn't do it. It really is so beyond stupid. The NFL, also with the jerseys, they don't even let players wear the shoes they want. They have to wear the standard colored cleats. Like, they'll fine you if you try and wear cleats that are too cool. So, I yeah, the whole dress code with the NFL really is nuts, and it seems like it's such a simple, simple fix that, that would go so far for the fan. But, no, obviously, they, they're too busy promoting CTE. Can you hear me? Did I cut out? Oh, man, did I cut out again, or are you frozen? I don't know. But it looks like we have so- Yeah, I mean, so, well, by the way, fun fact, uh-huh. the reason they say, yeah, he cut out of it. The fun fact, the reason they say that the guys can't wear alternate uniforms. No, I can hear you. Maybe let's just leave it here, then. Let's just leave it here then for the sake of our fans. They don't want to hear our technical difficulties. This was a great show. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Matt, anything you want to tell the fans before we, we light off? 
Now, there definitely is a humongous delay between you and me. I don't know if you could hear this just yet, but I am going to wrap it up. Thank you, everyone, for listening.